Hi, I'm Gary Kushirovich, and you're listening to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Welcome to episode 62 of the Functional Tennis Podcast. This week, I'm speaking to Gary Kushnerovich, a former pro who's now coaching in New York City and has done an amazing job building an online community. Before we get started, a quick word about our last two episodes, whose response has been amazing. First was Jude O'Reilly explaining off-court techniques to improve performance on court and in other areas of life. And then there was the Paul Anacone episode where he talked about his coaching experience with Federer and Sampras. They were two great episodes. If you're new to the show and missed them, you got to check them out. Finally, before we get started chatting to Gary, a big thanks to our new podcast sponsor, Slinger, who make the awesome Slinger bag, the portable ball machine you can bring everywhere with you. Okay, here we go. Gary, welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Thank you, Fabio. Thank you for having me. In all the years that I know you, maybe close to, I'd say three and a half. Anyway, we're going four years and you came on the Functional Tennis Journey quite early. I never knew how to pronounce your surname and Gary gave me a lesson there. So I'm just going to say it here and you can you can rate me on one to ten. So it's Gary Kushnerovich. Oh, that's a 10 out of 10, man. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So delight to have you on board. As I was saying there, I know you a long time. You've been putting out great content. You've been, you've purchased some of our journals, our pointers. It's been amazing, uh, which I really appreciate that. But I know you've did really well during lockdown, putting out some great content. You've built a great fan base. So I just would like to hear about that. But before we hear about that, tell us a little bit about your tennis journey from your early days where you grew up till giving the pros a shot. All right. So yeah, I, I don't want to bore everybody with the, the details, but I'll try to make it as concise as possible. And I am a huge fan of tennis, so I could talk for hours. And I apologize if I ramble a little bit, but I started playing uh, around three uh, years old with my parents. My, uh, my mom and dad were the ones who taught me how to play. My mom started me uh, playing when I started with the racket being bigger than I was. So that's a, a great age to start, you know, because back, I think back when I was playing, we didn't have the quick start tennis that we have now where the rackets are proportionally sized to the younger players. So, you know, I was playing with a full size racket and needed help holding it up. Uh, and my, uh, my father was my coach through my developmental years. We spent a lot of time working on my game together, many hours on court, uh, which is one of the main reasons why I'm, I think I'm really so passionate about tennis. And uh, one of the reasons we'll, I guess we come back to this later, why I put out so much content, uh, because I learned a lot from watching uh, videos that were available back then. And we didn't have, you know, the Instagram and the, and the YouTube it wasn't as, as big as it is now, obviously. And there wasn't as much free content out there that was available. So, you know, watched a lot of Nick Boletari tapes and, you know, uh, Pat Etcherberry fitness tapes and things of that nature, uh, trying to sculpt my game together. So that was kind of my developmental years. And I went on to play college tennis. I played at uh, West Point at the United States Military Academy, uh, which is D1 program. I played there for two years and then I played at St. John's University, transferred there. I played there for two years and 
was fortunate enough to play under two uh, pretty great coaches and uh, attain two uh, championship or conference rings for the Patriot League and then the the Big East uh, Conference. For those uh, of you that are familiar with college tennis in the States, you know, there's different conferences for the different universities. So those two are not the strongest conferences for tennis, but you know, it's still still a little great little achievement, I think, to be able to have a ring, you know, it's still cool. No matter where you are, Gary, if you're winning is a great achievement. Exactly. Winning is winning, right? Yeah, exactly. So, and then as I was uh, finishing up my college uh, career, I started coaching. I coached a little bit when I was still a junior, you know, just for some extra pocket money. Uh, and then when I was at St. John's, uh, I started coaching a little bit as well uh, to kind of, you know, like make ends meet and try to, you know, pay for the extra stuff that I wanted. And I started to develop this, you know, real passion for coaching. And I had at one point fallen completely out of love for tennis. Uh, when I was when I graduated from high school and I went into college, I basically uh, had achieved my my goal of getting into school. That's what my goal was, and I I really didn't want to play beyond university. But after I started coaching when I was at St. John's, started coaching a little bit, I started to develop this passion uh, for for high performance coaching specifically. I was really fortunate to work with uh, Tim Mayotte and uh, Lee Hurst. Tim Mayotte was former top 10 player. He was an incredible role model for me, you know, working with these players and the same with, with Lee Hurst. And I was uh, able to see what it actually meant to work with high performance players. And there really isn't that many coaches or facilities in the New York Northeast region that are, you know, really high performance uh, focused. And so it was interesting for me to see that and experience it. And so it was at that point that I kind of decided, hey, I've never played ITFs. I had never had an opportunity to travel internationally or see other uh, players outside of maybe Orange Bowl when I was like 12 or 14. And you know, by the time you're in your 20s, you don't really remember the details of that. So um, I decided that I wanted to try competing on the on the pro circuit so that I could see what it actually takes to play at that high level, so that at one point I could bring a player to that level. So the the whole reason why I started playing after after college, uh, as I was coaching as well, was to coach better, right? So that was the the main driving force behind me actually wanting to go out and and compete and travel a little bit. Yeah, I, I guess that's. That's how I started coaching really more seriously. I, I was coaching to fund my traveling so that I could go and experience tennis in other countries and see what other players were doing, what other schools of thought there were and, and learning from that. I was fortunate enough to pick up a couple of ATP points, made a couple of good runs and doubles, had an overall really great experience, and then decided a, a couple of years ago that I think that that was, that was enough for me, traveling and living out of a, out of a duffel bag, out of a suitcase. <laughs> Uh, and uh, that it was time to kind of start focusing more on what I wanted to actually be doing, which is coaching full-time. Great to know what you want to do and that you knew you weren't going to grind it out on the tour for 10 years and, you know, you don't know what the results are. So it was good that you could just make that decision. But you played in the the New York Open a few times. Tell us about that. Yes, I was really fortunate to... Uh, win the wild card for the New York Open on two different occasions. So there, it's 
been hosted in New York for three years now. Luckily to win it the first time, lose in the finals of the of the playoff the second year, and then win it again the third year. So I've played the qualifying for the New York Open, uh, which is an ATP 250 event. And it was a, an extreme, extreme honor and uh, privilege just to be out there competing with that level of, of player and got to see you know what their uh, their lives are about a little bit and see the the stresses and see you know that even those players that we think are untouchable are are touchable right uh, it's not it's really not that far off from where guys in the top 500 are and and even lower in the top thousand are so it's you know th there's percentages that really separate players as they get better and better even decimal percentages right Yes. And how did the matches, I saw a bit of your match, was it last, the end of last year, when's New York open on? Yes. The end of last year. This past year, uh, I lost to Jason Jung, uh, got routined, if if that's uh, that's a nice way of saying it. There were some good points put in there. I I, tell, I only saw the highlight reel. That's what I saw. And it was your highlight reel. So <laughs> I saw some good points in there and I thought, yeah, like you weren't, you know, you're competing. It wasn't, you didn't get, what was it? Was it three and two or what score was it? Yeah, I think, I think it was three and two or three. You Come know, on, that's pretty respectable. Four and three. So, so yeah, it's all right. Yeah. For a guy who, uh, who coaches full-time, doesn't train to play against a guy who makes a living off of it. I think, uh, you know, getting a few games is, is better than nothing, but uh, it's interesting because he had a, also, he had an incredible run that year. He made it to the semis. And so I thought, you know, one of the <laughs> one of the biggest weapons in my game is my serve, and he was treating me like a child. <laughs> and uh, I watched him play against Riley Opelka, and he was doing the same thing to him. I was like, okay, it's not me. It's, it's definitely not me. <laughs> so he was just seeing it like a football. Yeah, it was uh, it was easy for him. You know, he's just taking it on the rise. Taking the, I watched him take Opelka's you know 115 mile an hour second serve you know, on the rise and redirect it uh, and I, I was like okay I don't feel that bad about it anymore yeah no, that's, that's good so that's good and tell me what's your favorite match the one you remember the most from your whole tennis career that's a really good question uh, I would have to say you know my favorite match would be probably this year at the at the New York Open you know the first time I played it I it was insanely nervous. Uh, and I actually, you know, I, I didn't do poorly. I lost, I believe it was five and five and three, something like that as well. Uh, the first time I played, but I was, I felt very inadequate. Uh, when I walked onto the courts, I felt very lost and, uh, there was a lot of pressure and it was really, you know, I was still competing at that time. I was still trying to, you know, break through, I guess, so to speak, uh, on the pro circuit. And so you know, the idea of getting six ATP points by winning a first round was, uh, it made me really, really nervous. And, uh, you know, I had some opportunities, had some, uh, some looks and I, I wasn't able to convert. And it was really interesting that this year, uh, by far, I felt the most comfortable on court and, uh, it was, I felt, you know, it was nice to have a lot of local fans, a lot of my friends and family came out and, you know, people I've worked with and, you know, other coaches in the area who know me. And it was really nice to to just be there in that environment. And I think that I did a, a much better job conducting myself this year than I did maybe 
that first time around because I was I had put so much pressure on myself. And this time it was it was fun. It was more fun than than pressure. You know? Yeah, no, that's that's important that it's fun. At Functional Tennis, we are all about helping your tennis game get 1% better every day. That's why our match and practice journals are a great tool to have in your gear bag. The Functional Tennis match and practice journals help you plan and evaluate your matches and practice sessions. It includes goal setting, quotes, pressure tests and more. It's used by players of all ages and levels and it's a great way to get away from your phone and focus in on your game. To learn more, visit functionaltennis.com. And you probably had more fans than all the other guys put together out there, I'm sure. Being, you know, being a local and just people want to come see you play. I think that's what happens. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's fun. It's like, uh, you know, Noah Rubin is from Long Island. So there was a decent crowd for his match and I watched him play as well. But it, it was funny because there was, it was similar in, in my match. And I was like, oh, this is nice. You know, I'm as famous as Noah Rubin. That's what it felt like. Loving it. Great. For, for a brief second. Yeah. <laughs> and tell me, does does any bit of you wish you were still playing, or are you just completely happy you're coaching? I love I love competing, so you know I still play local money tournaments, and I uh, I'll, I'll play tournaments here and there. Uh, but the thing that is really people say, oh, you know, you're so lucky to be playing on the pro tour. I, I think they they forget that it's it's really a grind. You know, it really is a grind, especially at the futures and challenger levels, having to bounce from place to place, you know, trying to scrape together a hundred bucks to pay for a hotel or, you know, make sure that you have enough food or like money to eat, I think is, uh, is really overlooked. The majority of players who are trying to break through don't have funding. And so when I look back at it, I'm like, wow, I was incredibly fortunate to be able to work and pay my way through these tournaments, uh, whereas many people don't don't even get that opportunity, right? They don't even get a chance to to play. So to to say that I I wish I was still competing, no, I, I'm definitely th- that chapter in my life is done. I'm really happy with the experience that I've had and the friends that I've made across the world, but uh, realistically, it wasn't something that I could see myself doing for, like you said, for 10 or 15 years, you know, like, uh, there's the stories of, you know, even Fagnini, you know, he was, he grinded for 10 years before he really made a, a massive breakthrough. Um, and to have that dedication to take that many losses for that many years and still be able to come out and be incredible and to continue winning is, uh, I don't think most people are not made for that realistically. Yeah, you need to be hard as nails and just be fully committed. And, you know, we, right. we, we don't hear about the guys who do their 10, 15 years and never broke through. And they're sort of in a lost right. position because they may not have education. They wouldn't have local contacts because they've been traveling for 15 years, which puts them on a really tough uh, position. And I think, obviously, at the ATP do try and help people, you know, to make the transition. But I think they try and help more the successful people, the people who've been to top mm-hmm. 150, top 200. That's who they try and help. It's the other guys. Like there's plenty of guys who've been struggling on the tour for years. I won't say struggling. I, God, I wish I, my level was top 300, 400, 500. But in the grand scheme of things, they're struggling if you're going to be top 400 for 10 years. And I don't think there's enough done to help those. But I think that's a, that's a conversation for another day. But so, Gary, let's talk about Instagram. Let's—you're an influencer. How are you with me saying that? 
Um, uh, I definitely don't believe that I am. <laughs> and when you when you first said it, I, I laughed. I really did. I thought it was hilarious because I don't see myself as that. The the whole Instagram culture is it's interesting. You know, it is. Uh, there's a lot of, like you said, it's the highlight reels. Like yeah, I lost that match three and two against Jason Jung, but all we, all the internet saw was, you know, the four or five points that I, I where I played Unreal. <laughs> so, um, well, unless you, unless you looked at Jason's account, right, right, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, um, you know, I, I definitely don't see myself as a as an influencer. I, um, like I, I mentioned earlier, one of the main reasons why I try to consistently post content is because I know that there are many, many players out there that don't have a coach or might not necessarily be able to afford a coach. And so I would love to help those players out because that was me. That was how I learned how to play. Uh, we couldn't afford private lessons from the best coaches. And so my dad would work full days. And then after he worked a full day, would come home and We'd go on the tennis court and we'd work on my game together and we would watch videos and analyze things and record and, and you know, go back to the drawing boards over and over again. And my, my whole reason for posting is to be able to provide some sort of value to, you know, to, to the people that are doing it on their own. Um, and I, I definitely see that there's a lot of coaches that follow me and I get messages and DMs who are like, hey, you know, it helps with my players. But I also do get a lot of, of, of parents uh, and young players who are like, hey, I really appreciate this. I'm working with this on my son or with my daughter and uh, your your drills really help. So that's kind of where the the drive to do it comes from. You know, your drills do really help. And I know I, know I did mention, I was only trying to, I'm only joking what you call an influencer. You definitely don't come across as a typical influencer. Uh, you're putting out some great, content out there which I love which that's how I that's how I started following you all these years ago because you'd started that path already so from early on you're putting out some good content and it's hard to find really good content and you're very you come up with you know you're what would be the word you're a bit of a, a MacGyver do you remember MacGyver <laughs> you, you know yeah. you come up with you figure out in lockdown you're figuring out how to do drills on top of your on, on the top of your apartment block and you're doing different things and you know you're always trying to figure stuff out and make and do what you have and I think there's a lot of people stuck in bad positions during lockdown and with your content it would have helped them a lot so I can see where th that feedback where you get that feedback from parents and other coaches and kids. I appreciate that yeah I, uh, I am uh, a big believer that if you're passionate about something you're going to figure out a way, right? Like there's, uh, there's so many times when we aren't, we don't have access to the best courts or the best facilities or being, you know, if you're at on lockdown or in lockdown, uh, you, know, you can't leave your, your home. And if you're passionate about it, you'll, you'll figure out a way, right? You'll volley against the bathroom door or you'll work on footwork in the, you know, the four square feet that you have between your kitchen and your and your bathroom or whatever it might be, right? And you can you can figure out a way to to get better. And I think that sometimes um people focus on the on the I can't versus what can I? You know? Uh and, and I think that that's really an interesting mindset to to be in because it forces you to be creative and you know, figure out a way, like you said, to MacGyver your way through uh the situation. <laughs> 
Tell me, I know you got a slinger bag. You actually won a slinger bag. And tell me, Slinger, I'm not sure if you know, are a new podcast sponsors here. So this just this just working out really well. How is your Slinger bag? It's incredible. Honestly, I had a ball machine when I was a kid. Uh, we, you know, we spent, you know, saved up for it. And it, I think it cost us like $2,500. And at that time, so it's, you know, whatever with inflation and all that, probably by now, it probably would be way more. But uh, I just remember it being so cumbersome. I hated using it. It was such, such a hassle to get out of the house, to get to the course, to set up. And actually the slinger bag is now my, uh, my entire, it's like my basket. It's my bag. It's where I keep my waters. It's what I charge my phone with. It, uh, it's the whole nine yards. It's incredible equipment. It's incredible piece of equipment. I shamelessly promote it because I love it. You know, I don't, it's not even for the, there, there is, um, there's incentive that they've brought in later on. They're like, Hey, do you want to, want to partner with us in some capacity? And I was like, guys, I, I would do this for free. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need the incentives, but I do appreciate it. It's a tennis player's best friend, you know, like, uh, the number one thing that separates, you know, really good players from average players is hours on court. Right. And it's so hard to, to go out and get the extra reps and, now you you have no excuse if you have this bag. You can go out and get the reps in on your own. And it's portable, it's lightweight, it you know, it's user friendly. Um, and the top spin feature, I've I've gotten very few complaints about the top spin feature, but that's like the only complaint that I've gotten that it it feeds quote unquote too aggressively. I'm like, okay, if you can handle the the feed of a top spin feed, you could obviously lower how aggressively it feeds and you could have it like ball boy feed it to you. But if you could get used to a, an aggressive topspin feed, a regular ball is routine for you. It doesn't even phase you. And so why wouldn't you want to train with something that's going to give you something that's more difficult, right? So that you, instead of you having to, you know, rise to the occasion of the really high quality ball that you'll see when you play, you're actually like, oh, I've seen way harder than this. This is very easy for me. It, it's, it's really incredible. Look, I think the guys at Slinger will be delighted to hear that. So that's that's worked out well. Yeah, it's it's been amazing having you on, and I can't wait to see some more of your content. You did say you're going to make us a little pointer video, so I look forward to seeing that. Yes, I'm. Uh, I'm excited. I uh, I outlined some drills. You gave me some good ideas as well. The stuff that I haven't done, so I'm gonna I'm gonna you know put that together hopefully this week, um, and then posted on my on my tennis with Gary uh, channel and uh, on my YouTube channel maybe as well and so um, if uh, if anybody is interested in following that you gotta gotta tune in you know for some some great quality stuff you know uh, I appreciate that that you're uh, you're <laughs> trying to get me to do it because I, I'm definitely in I, I use it all the time it's an incredible product you know for working on your sweet spot and and seeing the ball and tracking it and staying focused it's um I play points with my 10 and under kids with it, <laughs> which is really hard, but it evens the playing field. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it's a, it's a great, great tool. Great. Thanks. So for anybody who wants to learn more about Gary, check him out on Tennis with Gary. And it's been great having you on, Gary. Thank you so much. I appreciate you, Fabio. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Really hope you enjoyed that episode with Gary. A huge thanks to our new sponsors, Slinger. 
and I'll be back next week. Take care. Bye.